Listening to Between the Laughs, the comedy podcast that dives down between the sofa cushions of sitcom to find a 10p coin and some toenail clippings. I'm Rob Cowan in San Francisco, and I'm joined once again by Paul Brunger in Manchester. And after finally managing to avoid pre-record gastrointestinal catastrophes for the first time, Mike Techman in Brighton. Hello, both. Hello. Hello. Once again, we've spent the last couple of weeks watching a comedy, and you're about to hear us sit down and talk about it. Imagine you're down the pub with three friends discussing something you've just watched on Netflix, and that's basically this, except the friends are spread across the surface of the earth instead of being in a pub, and you don't get to join in. That is, unless you share your thoughts with us. You can find us on Twitter at Between Laughs, Instagram also at Between Laughs, Facebook.com slash Between the Laughs, or email us at Between the Laughs at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing what you think about this week's comedy, which is Mike's nomination. Mike, what did you make us watch? Uh, I made us watch The IT Crowd, which is one of my absolute favourite sitcoms. Um, I just think there's something really kind of British and whimsical about it. Uh, and I think it's really sort of taken on sort of the sort of Seinfeld man- mantle of, uh, of of situation comedy where nothing really happens and made it completely absurd. <laughs> I I do like that everything everything in this podcast um, so far has is, is you now because Seinfeld was the first episode Seinfeld <laughs> seems to become the benchmark for all comedies. Everything comes back to We've Seinfeld. We've not got an episode without mentioning Seinfeld. <laughs> I guess so the first thing to say I probably hadn't watched a lot of the it crowd um before coming to this um or at least i think when we were first sort of talking about this and we talked about doing this as an episode so i i got caught up on it it was a bit of a surprise that i hadn't come to it because i've been an enormous fan of father ted and black books which are uh the other two uh sitcoms co-written by by graeme linen who writes this so it was quite a shock sort of to come to it i would say uh, we'll get into the detail. I would say of those three, it it probably ranks third of the three for me. I probably prefer Father Ted and prefer Black Books, um, but over, on on balance, I definitely I definitely enjoyed it. I definitely kind of ploughed through the whole thing and watched watched all the series off the back of this, um, which I can't say for everything that we that we cover. So first impressions positive. Mike, do you know if there's a definitive answer to the question, how is it supposed to be pronounced? I was just thinking about this. Uh, I've always called it the IT crowd because, of, you know, the, yeah, so have I. the oft-repeated line, hello, IT. Uh, but yeah. I can also, I mean, I don't know if there's any uh, any full stops in it. So I don't know if that's, do you need those to call it? To, it's definitely capitalised. It is capitalised. <laughs> It is it is a it is a pun on the in crowd, but it's a pun that doesn't really work because you don't call your IT department the it department, do you? Um, I remember coming to this about when it's, it's about fifteen years old, probably isn't it? Yeah, Maybe a little less than that. And I remember coming to it the first time round and really hating it. I just felt like I think I just saw a few minutes of it on a it's over Channel Four on a Friday night and thinking this is a really terrible impression of what somebody thinks a geek should be. And viewing that as, as quite an offensive thing, um, and maybe as well. I mean, was Big Bang Theory out around the same time? I think Bill, maybe I Big Bang Theory came a little bit later, and I definitely have slightly always slightly after. 
I've always felt that that was quite a, an offensive, limited portrayal of of a geek. Um, yeah, but I kind of I never really felt like it was that offensive with uh, the IT crowd because I think I think that Roy's not really that much of a geek. He's just a classic Jobsworth, um, and I think that Moss is meant to be this sort of like one of a kind, complete nut job that is you know totally unique but i don't know it never really it never really uh offended me because it was so it it i never felt like they were trying to uh to stereotype or parody these things that hard i don't know i mean i i, th- I think it kind of changes as it goes through because i think series one i do think they've got to establish the characters so that the lowest common denominator is is they work in it and of the three characters Moss is probably gets the best lines. He's probably the most memorable character in it, but he's also the most sort of two dimensionally geeky. You know, he he had he been going to school at the the time that the first series of the It Crowd came out, he would definitely have been bullied. Um, but I actually think like the, the thing that the thing that gets me is that I think kind of changes it a little bit as it goes through is even just the set. So you come into the the basement. The sort of Jen's journey into the terrible basement when she first goes in, who's who she becomes the boss of these two geeks in a basement, uh, and the basement is is an absolute kind of rat's nest of of knackered computers and cables and and IT junk, and it is very much the the classic kind of pejorative geek place to be. And then as they go through the series, it becomes more and more kind of super cool geek here's a load of my favorite bands posters and comics and things on the walls uh and it actually becomes a bit more of a a cherishing thing and i did kind of try to work out was that because we were kind of getting to that point in in society where where actually this was cool whereas it probably wasn't for the first series i kind of thought well 2006 i think the first series comes out uh, and I don't think there's much of a sign that that being a geek is cool then. So you've had the Lord of the Rings films, they've come out and been mega popular, but no one's kind of going, yeah, that's that's cool. Let me get some Lord of the Rings posters. Uh, whereas when you when you get to sort of second, third series time, Big Bang Theories come out uh, and after the first couple of years, it's become a top 10 show in America. Uh, you've got the Marvel films and now the big cinematic events all the time and it's actually become quite cool and i think you can even see it in the set behind him in the it crowd that it evolves from being here are some some you know <laughs> i think i think the boss character kind of says standard nerds at the in the first episode or something as a way of introducing them to standard nerds um yeah. and then it becomes more of a, a celebrated thing and and you know moscow's on countdown and that's seen as a, a really cool thing and actually leads into the whole world of kind of since that happens you've got eight out of ten catches countdown and it is a yeah a set of a celebrated thing so i i, I kind of think it start probably starts there in series one and then turns it around. Yeah, and I suppose when you, when you pitch a show like that, you you've got to you've got to distill it down to the base thing of woman who doesn't know about computers ends up working with geeks, uh, kind of thing. Um, I think that it 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 kind of it does all that it can do in that in the first series, which I think is probably the weakest series. Uh, and then it's then it starts moving a lot more kind of satirical, and it starts spoofing a lot more different bits of culture. Kind of like that, like that countdown episode where you've got that kind of uh, Fast and Furious spoof where they're playing Street Countdown and they're in a sort of <laughs> they've got the, the Matrix references and it, it becomes a lot more uh, 
a lot more multi-dimensional, a lot more uh, deep and enjoyable. I think as it as it goes on. So when I was trying to work out whether this was happening as Geek became cool and, and this transition happened, my my methodology was to look at all the articles that people have written on the internet that says is Geek cool now, and they basically become absolutely ten a penny from about 2012, 2011. And I figured no one writes those articles until they're completely sure that the question yeah. they're asking has already been answered several years ago. So I figure that fits yeah. with the with the time it scales. About, it was about when the iPhone was was launched, wasn't it? That was the Yeah. Um because Ooh. they later in the one of the later series they have uh, they have friend face um yes so that must have been coinciding and, and with they Facebook. have a sort of a twitter variant as well don't they yes. i think at some point i think it's called twitter isn't it is it called twitter <laughs> quite possibly yeah <laughs> it's, it's not effective it should be <laughs> did did anyone yeah. have a no i think it's shitter i think it might be shitter <laughs> Both are excellent. I'm looking forward to when you obviously bleep out my swearing in most episodes of this podcast, Rob. So I'm looking forward I, I to hearing how this comes through after the edit. And C bomb. Brilliant. <laughs> I normally drop a C bomb. Is that what you dropped an F bomb last time? I didn't think that's what it was, but okay. Yeah. Just, just very liberal with them these days. Don't even notice them coming out. Did did anyone have a favourite bit of geek paraphernalia once their office basically becomes the inside of a Forbidden Planet shop? <laughs> I uh, I mean this isn't a, a favourite bit, but I I was uh, I was sort of it. I did see that um, Roy was wearing a Rolf Harris T-shirt in the yes, countdown I, yeah, episode, which yeah. dates the episode. <laughs> That's not aged well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's got the the, Ro- the Ro- Rolf Ruffle T-shirts on. So, yeah. Oh dear! If only he'd known. <laughs> my my favourite bit, my next pick, uh, might be based off this. So in the episode where Limmy comes to clean Roy's windows, he's got an Axe Cop poster in his hallway. And that, that if if you guys have not uh, seen that, then uh, we, we definitely need to do that in a future episode because that is, that is very funny. It takes us outside of our usual televisual medium, but it's definitely it worth called? doing. Uh, Axe Cop. The, what is it? So the premise is it's actually a comic strip uh, written by two brothers. One's the oldest brother of his family and one is the youngest. The oldest one is 29 when it starts, I think, and the youngest is five. <laughs> and and the five-year-old is basically in charge of all of the plotting. Um, it comes from him playing around with the toy axe in which he is axe cop. And then his, his older brother <laughs> says, well, can I play as well? And I think it gives him a flute and says, you're flute cop. <laughs> and That's amazing. All, all of the narrative just comes out of this five-year-old's head and he just has to sort of draw it and, and make it in some way understandable. Uh, but we should definitely come back to that. Oh, yeah. Got an American adult animated series. Oh, they've right. done a series now. Oh, well, even better. We're sorted then. Well, it's got Nick Offerman. Has it? Does it? Oh, now we're doing this. Oh, we're on it. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he does the lead voice, Nick Offerman. I was going to say, I bet he's yeah. Axcop. Yeah. Oh, I'm not going to bother with the rest of this episode. I'm going to sit it out. We should just do that now. Yeah. <laughs> Reconvene once we've watched Axe Cop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's, so there was, uh, yeah, there were two seasons. There's 22 episodes of it, but they're all like 11 minutes long. Well, there you go. You're going to get sort of 20 hours of dead air, and then we're going to come back and talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Do you prefer Matt Berry to um, Chris Morris as the boss? Um. Chris Morris isn't in it for very long, is he? He's only he, he makes a few appearances in the first couple of seasons, but Matt Berry really takes. I think I prefer Matt Berry. Yeah, 
I'm really torn. I, re- I really like the episode about stress. I find that really, really funny. Um, I think Chris Morris is really great about in that. But then I, I do think that, uh, that Matt Berry's character, Douglas, is just this amazing uh, spoof of a kind of um, nepotized CEO who just all he wants to do is chase tail and be ridiculous. Yeah. And I, I think that he's, he's, he's really great in that. Essentially the only character that Matt Berry appears to ever play. Yeah. Well, he's got yeah, that Matt voice. Yeah, Matt Berry plays Matt Berry as, as per. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I suppose you could say the same thing about Noel Fielding. Well, he's a bit more, he's a bit more goth, more goth than ever in this one. Full goth. And he's very, and you know, he's, he's on the bake-off now, isn't he? So <laughs> yeah. things have moved a long way. Chris O'Dowd's a Hollywood star. Is he? Yeah, he was in Bridesmaids. He was the he was the main uh, the main love interest in Bridesmaids. I, not not a film I'm familiar with. You sexist, but you've seen The Hangover. I've seen all three. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's that's the ultimate test for sexism. I believe is is how many how many what's your deficit of Hangover to Bridesmaids that you've seen? Uh, yeah, that's I'm, exactly I'm it. Three nil. I've seen all seven yeah. all seven Bridesmaids films. That's there how. Seven? No, there's not. There's only one. But uh, all right, that's that's how sexist you are, Rob. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but I have no idea. Got I don't a even know what it's a score of three, which is the biggest one. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, as you see, we've managed to drop the only female voice on this podcast. Yeah. So someone's going to mansplain sexism, uh, and I think I'll do that. <laughs> what did you think about the laughter track? That well, it's it's controversial to call it a laughter track. What do you think of the fact it was filmed in front of a, a live studio audience? Uh, I don't know. I get. I kind of get it. I get why they did it. They were probably, it was, it was some, is a subject matter that's not really been, been broached at that point. It was a point in time where not the majority of people probably didn't have the internet or were just getting the internet and weren't sort of that well-versed in, you know, what was going on uh, in sort of, wouldn't necessarily be drawn to a comedy about IT professionals. Um, and I get, they probably wanted to test it out with an audience and sort of, be confident that what they made was funny and sort of, I guess, signpost the jokes. I, <laughs> yeah, and I guess that's the trouble with the laughter track, right? It's, uh, it's, it's the signposting of jokes. I weirdly though, I do find myself laughing out loud more when there is a laughter track. Um, yeah, I mean, I, and I think that's pretty natural. I mean, you know, if you if you are watching a sporting event on TV and the crowd are in the stadium are well up for it and going mad, that enhances your enjoyment of it. You you feel more in it. But I kind of think it's an interesting experiment, and we'll have to dig it out for a future episode. So I I kind of think yes, it, it, this one does have the the studio audience and you can hear them. But actually, I think the jokes are kind of funny enough in their own right whereas yeah i i much to my wife's uh disbelief i don't rate uh big bang theory uh at all from what i've seen oh i hate it Um, it, absolutely loathe it uh as best i can tell or maybe i just find it very dull maybe loathing's a strong word but i did watch an excellent youtube video which was uh, a chunk of big bang theory with the laughter track removed 
uh, and they're very much very no dark, isn't it? Yes, <laughs> that sounds pretty pretty <laughs> like a hard thing to watch. I was just just picking up on the sort of um, Big Bang Theory comparison. Um, I think one of the things that saves this from being like the Big Bang Theory is that Jen is actually quite a strong and like clever character in her own right, and she develops more into that later in the series. She's a little bit one dimensional in the first series, but uh, I think that Penny's role in the the Big Bang Theory is sort of like. <laughs> Uh, generic bimbo is kind of pretty horrendous. You've kind of they've really yeah. uh, they've really played it up. Yeah. They, uh, so Graham Linehan, the, the writer of the IT Crowd, he um, said the the choice of a laughter track was deliberate uh, to demonstrate there is still an audience for traditional sitcoms rather than kind of the mockumentary style. If you think 2006, it was we were well past the sell by date of of uh, of laughter tracks on most sitcoms. It'd been the late nineties really since most of them had done it. The office was five years old at this point. So he was trying to almost counter the modern sitcom with a more of a traditional one in the same way, I guess Mrs. Brown's boys claims to do now, but actually funny. <laughs> Always some jokes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Cause he, cause he kind of said, well, it shouldn't all be office style mockumentaries, basically. Didn't it? You don't, you don't have to do this yeah. sort of uh, super straight faced kind of realistic comedy that's all very real world and office and Gavin and Stacey and whatever else. So he, he was going for traditional sitcom studio audience. I mean, even kind of some of the, the stuff that, that, that comes in in the writing is a little bit kind of, oh, all right, we're doing the bit about how women like bastards. Oh, we'll cover that then. And you kind of think, all right. So it's, it's very much kind of the, the typical kind of plot that you would get in a sitcom that will kind of do you for an episode. And I think, yeah, I think it, you know, it, it does, it is, I think an example of a good sitcom, uh, there are some things in that format that inherently don't always work that well. I kind of think, like for example, the people always do this sort of this as a criticism of Friends, where you talk about when you get onto the later series, it's very hard to think of ideas for all six people to do, uh, yeah. and then you end up your B and your C story are sometimes pretty poor. Because I, mean, I, I think, for example, the Countdown episode is one that we all specifically watched. Uh, ahead of this as, as being kind of probably the most famous episode of the IT crowd. Um, and I think the B story in that where Chris O'Dowd is trying not to be mistaken for a window cleaner by a character we've never met before, I think that's quite weak. Um, whereas I I think that the A story in that one is great and it's so good, but I think the, the B story suffers in comparison. So I, I kind of think it is interesting the fact that he's done it as his traditional sitcom and it's got, it's got the strength and the failings of that, but I think it's a good example of a, a good sitcom. So I, I did some research into into the history of laugh tracks, um, and uh, it, they, so from the 1950s, the American networks would insist, and they the US style was literally at that time not filming in front of a studio audience, but actually a, a, an actual machine called a laugh box. It was like a typewriter, and each key represented a different style of laughter or applause, and they they would put that in over the bits where they thought people should be laughing. Um, and then often over the heads of the writers. So the writers would write something which I guess wasn't that funny. And then the networks would insist on adding these laughter tracks afterwards. Uh, and it, it, they even did it with Scooby-Doo. They even did it with cartoons where there was no feasible way that it was filmed in front of a live audience and they would still pretend that people were were laughing and watching along. But but actually, I really love that in Top Cat, that there's a that there's a, a laugh track in Top Cat. I really enjoy that. <laughs> like a really adult um, sound well, I, laugh For some track, reason, I, really... find that, I find that it definitely enhances my enjoyment of that. So about 10 years ago, I went to a, a live studio filming of um, Armstrong and Miller, the sketch show. 
and uh most of their sketches were being done on set so that it was a genuine kind of uh laugh but then occasionally we'd have to watch some of the outside broadcasts so some of the pre-recorded stuff and laugh in the gaps that they'd left for us to laugh in which which seemed a little bit uh, a little bit strange. And so, are you being then, are you being directed to do that? Are you be or is it? No, just, I don't think so. That, that's what I kind of can't work out because then then you're just an organic laughter box, aren't you? But where if yeah. it, if, if it is, you show them the finished product, and then you if they laugh, you use the recording of your actual laughter, albeit you're not watching it being filmed live, but it still kind of works as a laugh track. Yeah, and I've been to a few things recorded live, um, either either for TV or radio before, and, and they. They do encourage you on the way in, you know, don't, you know, if when I'm sitting at home watching something, it's very rare that I actually laugh out loud. I, you know, I've, I will internally laugh, but they are encouraging you to let your internal laughs out because it's it's pointless for you to be there as a studio audience that's laughing on the inside. Yeah. In, in um, the real world, a good joke might get a good, <laughs> but yeah, but exactly. You're probably not going to get four. You got to get four. Very yeah. good. And actually I once went to see, it was on the morning after Obama's first election. I went to what I was in the studio audience for um, the David Letterman show, and they had us practice our laughter before we, before the show started. Not not in the same way that say, "Have I got news for you?" would get a warm up act on. They would have us practice our laughter just completely artificially, and I think they even gave out prizes to the people who laughed the most uproariously. Oh god, that's so American. <laughs> and, then I, and then I think they might have had. I don't know whether I've since imagined this, but I think they might have had signs that flashed to say when you should laugh. And a, a large part of that, the problem is that, you know, the David Letterman show is not intrinsically that funny. But we, we've, we've all seen, like, yeah, those applause signs. Whenever you see a programme that is ostensibly showing you the set is a thing being filmed in a TV studio, they'll have a big applause sign that, yeah. that lights up. Yeah, absolutely. And it was very much like that. Um, so British comedies, I don't think they ever really used the canned laughter. They, they actually really genuinely artificial. Um, but the BBC from the 80s onwards required shows to be filmed in front of a live audience. And it was only really, I guess, I guess you look at the Royal Family and The Office as being the real turning point, I think, in the late uh, the late 90s and early noughties that switched that to um, uh, to not having... A laughter track at all and that, I think that happened on both sides of the Atlantic at the same time um, one thing that's interesting you, you sometimes you go back to the early seasons of, of established comedies that don't have laughter tracks in the later seasons and find that they did at the beginning the League of Gentlemen is the most surprising one the League of Gentlemen seems like this you know dark subversive comedy it seems like the last thing you would want a laughter track on but the first season has it that's so strange I'm not sure. Are there, are there many that have it now? Mrs. Brown's boy. Did, did Miranda have have a laughter track? I bet she bloody did. It feels I, like she I, did I, it. I almost feel like I wouldn't know. I almost feel like if it's done well, which it probably is these days, then you you probably don't notice because they're probably laughing and you're sort of nodding along. Um, and it feels a bit more communal and organic. But I, I feel like I would have to go back and check things specifically rather than think, what have I watched recently? Did that have a laugh track? Not sure. Yeah. I, I don't know. I did find it. I did find it when I, I rewatched the first episode. I was like, wow, there's a laugh track. You know, it, it was something that sort of mm. stuck out as something I'd not experienced in uh, in quite a long time. Um, if it's done badly, it can sound awful. The things that I remember, I think especially CITV shows in the 90s, occasionally one of those would have a laughter track. And I think there's nothing worse than than a, a crowd of, of children 
laughing fakely. Oh, there's nothing I hate more than the sound of children laughing. They've been clearly told on the way into the studio, oh, you've got to laugh over the top. And so they do. And it's just, it just sounds really awful. There's no way the joke was funny enough for that kind of reaction. On the, the uh, Jen thing, Mike, about kind of what her role is. So I guess this is something that we spoke highly uh, in a previous episode about Seinfeld and that Elaine very much stands on her own two feet as a character and she's actually got some of the best bits on her, on, her, on her own part she's not just the woman yeah um i i probably would need to go back and have a a, a think about with this because I'm, I'm kind of i think you're very conscious in that first series when jane comes in that she's brought in as the only female character and the only character that doesn't know about computers um, yeah, and and whether that does start off as that but some of those I do first... think, I, but I, I do think there is more to it and i, I kind of think it is something that that he's thought about in writing it, Graham Linnan. And he, I think what, one of the things that he says he takes pride in is all of his female characters are just as selfish and venal as all his male characters. And you kind of get the one, the episode, I think it's in the first series, where she lies about knowing about classical music to impress the security yeah. guard uh, and ends up losing loads of money as his phone a friend mm. on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. Yeah. Uh, and, and that whole story for her is just the fact that she just keeps saying things. And then I think when she's when she's confronted about it by boss, she sort of says, well, this is just what I do. I lie and I lie and I lie. That's, <laughs> and you're like, yeah, no, I like that. That's, that's very much... Uh, a proper a, character trait rather than sort of going, oh, I'm the foil of the people who know about things. Um, yeah, no, definitely. And, and, and I think then you can have her being the person who thinks the internet's in a little box uh, because that's not all she does. Yeah, and when she does think the internet's in a little box, she will take it and she will try and use that to her advantage to, as much as she can. Um, <laughs> and I think she's also, in some respects, kind of a stand-in for the audience in that she's the one who is looking in on this world that she's kind of been yeah. thrust into. Um, I do think some of the storylines are a little bit uh, a little bit hacky, like the sort of, uh, here are some guys who don't know about women, here's a woman that they have to interact with oh my God, she's talking about her bra kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? And there's a, there's a storyline about her, um, her having a period in one of the early, one of the early series, which is a little bit, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's a funny episode, but it does feel a little bit, um, hackneyed, um, to sort of make that the, make that the episode. And they all sync up, which to be fair is pretty hilarious. Uh, but it, it, at the same time, it does feel like, um, when you watch it now, kind of 15 years on, you're a bit like, I mean, this is, I think we've moved, moved past that as a, as a sort of whole episode storyline. Yeah. I think, I think again, it comes from this quite traditionalist place that there's, I mean, there's definitely stuff that he does with it. That's, that's new and, and funny. So that the, the fact that the period storyline isn't them going, Oh, that's gross. It's more them just joining in on the same thing. And so I, I think it's it's more sort of in the grey area between is it or isn't it, but the, it does cover a lot of kind of stuff that you think, oh, yeah, okay, this is this is kind of traditionalist sitcom. This has been covered. It's the sort of thing, if you see a stand-up, you're going to go, oh, okay, differences between men and women again, is it? Oh, yeah, yeah. I can't wait. <laughs> Where did um, you get that from? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I think, and, um, and it's not to say you can't say sort of uh, – good stuff about it and and he doesn't do good material about it but it, yeah I, th- I think you're right is some of it you kind of think uh is this again 
Yeah. I think what I think the one thing that makes it feel a little bit better is that as the audience you kind of come down on Jen's side in a lot of the things. You don't you're not like, oh God, these poor blokes have to deal with a woman on a period. You're like, oh my God, this woman has to have a period around these guys <laughs> yeah. who don't know anything about, <laughs> about women. Yeah. Uh so yeah, I think that maybe that maybe saves it a little bit, but it I mean it's it's definitely not uh passing the Bechadel test. Um <laughs> no. <laughs> Um, I, I, I do think I do think because it's such a small cast um, certainly like three real main characters that are there the whole time they have developed those characters pretty well you know they've, they've chosen two male geeks but two very different sub-genres of the male geek <laughs> so much diversity yeah and I think to be fair I think for me I think Moss becomes one of the by you know sort of season three he's one of my favourite uh, comedy characters ever yeah I, yeah, and I, I think, think he gets uh, I think even from the start Moss gets all the best lines and maybe it's just me but my, my perception of it is yeah this is this is great and I kind of think of the three of them um, I was kind of trying to think oh is this Richard Iowadi's uh, first thing but he did Dark Place before this didn't he which yes. is also great and it's also very much him doing the same sort of weird uh, weird stilted delivery and and sort of idiot uh, shtick, uh, and you know I, I can watch him do that in anything. It's, it is like the yeah. very thing you can watch him do that in anything, and you'll go, yeah, this is this is great. I'm enjoying this. Whereas the other two probably hasn't been so much of a launch pad. He does that as himself though, as well. When have, yeah. have you seen yeah. uh, Richard Ayoade's Gadget Man? Yes, where it's, it's him presenting it as Richard Ayoade, and he's he's essentially playing Moss. Yeah. And I suspect that's a that's a comedy persona that he's he's developed. Did he ever do stand up? I think he did. Um, I think he did sketch comedy. Uh, he was in the Footlights. Yeah, he was the Footlights. He wrote a uh, production with John Oliver. John Oliver oh, was wow. uh, the vice president while he was there. Have you seen Submarine? No. That was no. the that was the sort of coming of age film that he wrote and directed. Uh, and it's set in a rural Welsh town. Um, and Alex Turner from the Arctic Monkeys has done the whole soundtrack and it is really, really good. They've got a couple of sort of teenage actors that are very, very good in it. Um, I, I couldn't recommend it enough. On, on the subject of the IT crowd uh, doing, doing Hackney jokes, can I just say my favourite thing that I spotted... Uh, where they nick the joke from Star Trek Four, where he tries to talk into the mouse to make the computer work. <laughs> I kind of, I kind of like the way he does surrealism. I really enjoy it. That basically there'll be something that is absolutely unfeasibly odd going on, and everyone just kind of lives their lives around it. And it's just an, for them, it's an accepted part of life. Um, it, you know, it's, it's like having the. You know, Father Ted is right in Father Ted, where he says, "That's ridiculous. How can there be a perfectly square?" bit of dirt on on the window but fundamentally you know everyone just has to accept that there is and then it then makes him look like Hitler. And it's just you, it's really kind of like kitchen sink surrealism rather, yeah. rather than realism that you yeah you, there's just this stuff going on uh and it's and it is surreal but everyone else is just accepting it and it's just well that that's within the world of the it crowd that that makes sense and i do enjoy that that i think that's kind yeah. of one of his trademark things I think um, one- the way he does surrealism i really enjoy it Oh, I was just—I was just going to say my favourite joke 
that I can remember in it is the callback to the fact that the fire service phone number has been changed yes. from 999 and the fact that they come back to that completely afresh, sort of like a series later or something. <laughs> yes. Uh, and they come back to this sort of 14-digit number that you've got to ring <laughs> to get the fire. Uh, and, and Moss knows it because you can remember the jingle from the advert that it was introduced in previously. Oh, yeah, so good. I also love when he emails them. <laughs> he's like, he's yes, like yeah. to whom it may well, concern. I, I think that whole bit with the fire, that is that is up there with my favourite bits of the IT crowd, absolutely. <laughs> I'll just put this over here with the rest of the fire. <laughs> so good. The IT Crowd is available on Netflix in both the UK and the USA. Don't forget to get in touch with us to share what you think about the IT Crowd on t- Twitter and Instagram at Between Laughs, Facebook.com slash Between the Laughs, or you can email us at Between the Laughs at gmail.com. Before we go, though, it's time for game four of the sitcom World Cup. Through a remarkable coincidence, this week's head to head is between the IT Crowd or the IT Crowd depending on who wins the previous round. And Graham Linehan written Stablemate, Father Ted. Ah, it's got to be the IT crowd for me. Uh, Father Ted all day. That That is absolutely timeless. It's brilliant. You can you can watch that anywhere, anyhow. It is still so many good ideas packed into every one, and it's so sharply done. It's so good. Uh, now, so this means I've got to be the casting vote again. Um... I don't. I feel I really tense. Decide. I feel really tense now. It's You're like you have not prepared for this. It's your question. <laughs> you wrote this. This is like when Ma interviewed Noam Chomsky. This is terrible. You two are supposed to. There were supposed to be four of us. It wasn't supposed to be possible. <laughs> I mean, it's still possible with four people, Rob. Not no, because I would be. I would be sitting aside as the as the neutral arbiter, and three people would be arguing. And only, therefore, I thought you only did that if it was a. Because if you've got three people, then it's two nil, and you don't have to do it, or it's one one, and you're the tiebreaker. Like, uh, <laughs> like in strictly, I, know, I, have to, I have to think about it. Uh, I okay. Um, <laughs> I, I genuinely can't. I think I think I'm going to go with the IT crowd actually, but it but it it's with a heavy heart. Like I I do love Father Ted, and I think Father Ted's Christmas episode is a much watch every must watch every Christmas. Um. And I think it's great in so many ways, but I think the IT crowd has had me more hooked than than Father Ted. So it's going to be it's on a penalty shootout very much. Uh, but uh, Father Ted just clips the post with the final final <laughs> is it shot. Like the old, is it like the over seventy fives all priest annual fiver side? <laughs> so the IT crowd go through to the second round of the Sitcom World Cup, and we will disappear off into the sunset. Get in touch with us uh, and we'll be back next time where we'll be discussing American hit Netflix comedy Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. It's a musical. So goodbye. Bye. Tatty bye. Bye.